Hi there, my name's Peter Bell, founder and CTO at CTO Connection. The future's here, it's just not evenly distributed. At CTO Connection, we try to solve that by identifying, curating, and distributing the latest tools and techniques for more effectively building and managing an engineering team. Join our community at ctoconnection.com. Today, I'm speaking with Rafi Krikorian, CTO of Emerson Collective. Rafi, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. No, thank you, Peter. Now, this is a little bit of a special episode. Usually, we have guests on one time, but this is actually a kickoff of a completely new uh, series of podcasts uh, that Rafi is actually going to be the host of, and it's called Mission Driven. Uh, but before we get into the the details of the, the this new series, what I'd love to do is get just a little bit of background and context, Rafi, on yourself. So uh, you work at the Emerson Collective as their CTO. What do you do there? That's a great question. So the Emerson Collective is a social good organization. So we work in verticals like immigration, education, health, or climate. And what we try to do is how do we maximize the amount of good in every single one of those verticals? How do we take systems that are already existing and supercharge them or fix them, repair them, partner with people in order to just try and make them better? And so technology clearly has to play a big role here. I mean, we live in the 21st century. So like tech sort of like threads through everything we do. And me and my team think about using tech as a force for change. Everything from literally the IT team, which, you know, IT reports to me here, we use IT for the collective, but also we turn the IT team outwards. How can we make back offices of nonprofits more efficient and effective? What's the right tools for collaboration? Like imagine a world where you can make a nonprofit 5% more effective. That's 5% more that dollars can be going into the world and making the world a better place. And then we think about things from, like I said, the IT side, but all the way through product development and data science. What can we use? How can we use data science as a way to measure how the world is changing? For example, we did this project on the southern border of the United States where we modeled a whole bunch of judges and what their education was on people crossing the border. Um, we, we, we think about data, uh, sorry, product development all the time. Like we have a product right now we're trying to develop to help uh, expert teachers, people who've been in the profession for a long time, better mentor new and up-and-coming teachers, teachers that just entered into the profession. So we think about technology on all these axes to try to amplify the work that our partners are doing and to help make each one of those sectors a better place. Now, before Emerson Collective, you were at the DNC for a while. Uh, what was your focus there? That's a great question. So I was hired in 2017 by uh, Secretary Tom Perez, who was the chairperson of the DNC at the time. And he hired me, honestly, in his words, to fix his cybersecurity problem. Like if you remember, um, the Russians hacked the DNC in the, during the 2016 election, and I was brought in to try to clean up the mess and then basically set up the DNC so that would never happen again. I would say my job was really to modernize the technology stack that Democrats use when running for office. So to rethink everything from how do we collect data from door knocking? How do we record that data? How do we, how do we aggregate polling information? And then how do we change that into actionable things so that we can better understand what people really wanted from their government, what people really wanted from their elected officials, make sure that we're speaking to them in ways that they understood and met them where they are. So for example, like it doesn't help if I talk to you about a particular issue you don't care about, 
But like of all the issues that at the time Democrats cared about, if one of them resonated to you, that's the one I should talk to you about. And I should talk to you on mediums that you care about. Like, do you prefer email, text message, in person? So if trying to figure out the best way to make sure these campaigns really reach the American public and really explain to them the benefits of the candidates that were campaigning. That, I think, was my job. How do we set that up for success? Nice. Now, that was not where you started. I remember, I think, when we first met, you were VP of Engineering at Twitter. So uh, firstly, maybe just to give people a little bit of backstory, how and when did you join Twitter? How did you get involved in that journey? Yeah, I joined Twitter in 2009. Um, Yeah, I was one of the, I think I was maybe, let's call it employee 50 or 60, somewhere in that in that range. Um, honestly, I, the reason I joined Twitter was one, I was following my wife. She took a postdoc position at Cal Berkeley. So I moved to the Bay. But I spoke to a bunch of different companies at the time. You know, I was just coming out of grad school myself. I spoke to Twitter, Facebook, Google, and a bunch of different startups. And the Twitter folks, I thought, were doing two things. One is they're really trying to fundamentally change the way the world talk to each other. Now we can argue good and bad, like it's definitely turned out in ways that no one would have predicted in 2009. But that was exciting at the time. It's just like, how do we literally change the way the world connects to each other? And then two, they just seemed like they were having fun. Like it just seemed like a really good group of people. And you know, in any endeavor, you're going to spend more waking hours at that endeavor than you do at home. So I was trying to find that best of both worlds combination. And I think I did at Twitter. Now, at what point did you leave that journey? How how big was the organization? How big was the engineering team when you moved on to your next thing? Yeah, I don't remember exactly how large all of Twitter was. But, you know, I started as an engineer on the platform team. Um, a person who I consider a really good friend now, Ryan Sarver, was the product manager in charge of our group. We built a bunch of the APIs that third-party clients used to connect to Twitter. Um, and then throughout years of trials and tribulations, you know, fail whales and et cetera, um, I became in charge of what we called the platform, the, the infrastructure that powered all of Twitter. So by the time I left, I think I had about 600 people worldwide working for me, thinking about how to make Twitter efficient, reliable, effective, cheap product, uh, like have good developer productivity on top of it. So we really thought about all the core nouns of Twitter and how to make those available to the world. Nice. Now, I, I feel like there are some threads I'm seeing already in terms of impact, Twitter, right, bringing people together and communicating. So even though you wouldn't initially think of it as a mission-driven company, there was there was suddenly an impact component to that. And then the other thread is perhaps following your wife. So the, the next gig, I believe, was, was at the other side of the country in Pittsburgh for Uber. That's right. Actually, let me, before I even go there, I mean, I think, let's pull up that mission-driven for a second. Like, You know, I think a lot of this is going to come down to I want to figure out how to make impact for people. Um, So the reason I joined Uber, you know, a questionable company, um, when I when I was first approached by them, I actually turned them down the first time. But when I realized what they were trying to do in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they were trying to build a self-driving car team with the specific vision of a self-driving car run as part of a service could fundamentally change a city. Like if you think about the number of amount of um, space that a city dedicates to parking alone, it's in the double digits of percentages. 
And so what if you could just remove all the parking? Or what if you could fundamentally change the way people commuted every single day? Like, could they could they live further away from the city? Could you fundamentally just change the relationship people had with an urban landscape because of autonomous vehicles? And I found that super exciting. Um, and so that's the reason why I went and tried to run the self-driving team there at Uber, at least until... You know, Donald Trump became president, and I just couldn't. I, I just couldn't shake that from my mind. I was just like, I have to go fix that problem, <laughs> and that's why I went over to DNC. Oh, that's an interesting progression. So it was that was the kind of defining moment for you when you decided you 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 needed yeah. to focus I mean, on a, a more immediate form of impact. I mean, I was. I remember I was sitting in a hotel room in San Francisco on inauguration day, um, 2017, watching this on television and being like, this can't be reality right now. Um, and so I texted a whole bunch of friends who I've never thought about doing anything that was not commercially related or haven't thought seriously about it. And I texted a whole bunch of friends being like, does anyone have any ideas? And that's where through a s- series of different stumbles, I finally found myself at the DNC. Now, were there any challenges? Like when you found yourself in the DNC role, it's a very different kind of organization. It's presumably not tech-centric in the way that either Twitter or Uber are. What, what was the, the culture shift like and, and how did you navigate that? Yeah, I mean... One, I think I meant like you're an alien in that world. Like you just don't speak the same language. Like they would say things all day long. Then like, I do not understand half the acronyms you're throwing my way. But then in fairness, I would say things all day long and they would just kind of look at me funny. I mean, we were and like we were set up in a situation that we were we were being forced effectively to trust each other. Like we we're all senior leadership. We knew all our intentions were in the right place and we would figure this out. But like we're alien to each other. It's like a, there was like a language translation problem we even had to get over. But even on top of that, I think like coming from Twitter and Uber, I remember at both Twitter and Uber, at, I was I was an executive of both those companies, and every single department, sales, marketing, comms, legal, etc., would be making time on my calendar to come give me an update of what they're up to because engineering and product and tech was so central to the effort. But that the DNC. I would be often left off meetings, like because they're like, we have a CTO. What does he do again? So, like, I spent all this time literally just like knocking on doors, asking if I could just be in on this meeting and just like sit in the corner and listen for a while. And so, like, just the entire shift of like coming from a place where tech is the center of the universe to tech is, if you're lucky, one of the planets that's orbiting a sun. <laughs> Maybe if you're not lucky, one of the moons that's orbiting a planet that's orbiting the sun. And trying to figure out how to navigate that was one of the biggest challenges. Like telling, showing people what tech could do, finding these like aperture opening moments of like, we can fix that. And then fixing it, showing it to people, and then sort of like moving up the ladder of, of trust and trying to get to that place where the like, tech is now brought into all the conversations. So, so given this, I, I love the, the kind of breadth of experiences. And in, in many ways, they all have a mission-driven component to them. Do you feel mission-driven is primarily about working for a B corporation or a not-for-profit? Or is it much more about focusing on, on the impact of the organization, even if it happens to be a, a commercial entity? Yeah, no. I mean, I don't think it has to be a nonprofit, a B Corp. I think for-profit companies do this every single day. I think it's a question of how do you find a place that's making a difference to people and the world? How are you finding a place that makes the world better in some way, shape, or form? I think that's what mission-driven really means. I mean, look, 
there are a bunch of climate companies that are working on trying to make trying to get this com- this world into a better place. Like we're on a precipice of a climate disaster right now. Those companies are planning to make a profit in the in the path to doing it, and they should be commended for it. Like, this is a hard hard work, and they should be commended for it. Like if you can figure out how to be mission driven in a for profit company all the better for you. If you can figure out how to do it in a nonprofit company, that's also quite hard. So I think all these paths to making an impact are very difficult. And so you should be agnostic to the vehicle to pull it off. Just focus on making that impact. So there are lots of things in the world that could be improved. Uh, how did you go about it? And like, what would be some heuristics? If somebody came to you and said, hey, so I've been running engineering someplace for a while, did a couple of startups. I'm looking to do something a little different. What advice would you give them that would help them to think through the things that matter to them so that they can pick a mission that drives them? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot, actually. Like I get pinged by people who are leaving tech companies or leaving a tech company, maybe they're going to stay in the tech sector, and ask me about impact opportunities all the time. And my first question back at them is, well, what are you interested in? Like, like just saying impact or mission-driven is such a huge space. Like, are you interested in online privacy? Then we should find you an online privacy startup or a nonprofit that can work on online privacy. Are you interested in healthcare? We should find you a healthcare opportunity. Immigration, education, I mean, the lift just goes on. But I think, you know, the number one thing is finding time, quieting out the noise, and figuring out what's the thing that, you know, just like any tech company, what's the thing that you would lose sleep over when you're trying to fix? What's the thing that would get you so excited? What's the thing that would make you proud, your family proud, your friends proud if you said you worked on this problem. Um, so I think that's really the first step is like just trying to like listen, like like you said, just walking around the world, there's so many problems out there. What's the one that gets you the most riled up? I mean, whether it's a small problem like the school in your community needs help or a large problem like climate change, what's the one that you want to spend a year, two years, five years, 10 years of your life, living, breathing, drinking, not sleeping, trying to fix. That's that's where you should start, just figuring that out for yourself. So let's say somebody's done that and they come, let's take the example climate tech, right? And the, the nice thing about climate, it's a huge problem. It's clearly somewhat important to our species and our planet. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you can engage with that from public policy to not-for-profits to for-profit startups to established enterprises that are trying to green up their their operations or, or, or their, their offerings. How would you give somebody feedback when they start to think about if, if they've lived, especially if they've lived in a very tech-centric world, right, they, they've worked for a lot of pure play tech startups, um, how would you advise them to think about for-profit versus not-for-profit, at size of organization, and tech forward, right? You know, it's a deep tech startup that's fixing battery tech versus um, creating the, the uh, tools for a lobbying organization, which again, it's all about the politics and they happen to use the tech. Like yeah. what, what would be some of the, the things that you'd recommend them thinking through as they, they try to navigate some of those axes? I don't think any of this is very much different than looking for a job regularly. I think like what I would do, like every time I decided to change careers, I mean, I've always been remote, remotely in tech, but like, you know, I've gone from social media, to self-driving, to politics, now to more of the nonprofit social good side. 
is just spend time with people, take people out to coffee, ask people for a Zoom call, and just ask them, what do you do every day? In fact, like Peter, this is the whole reason this podcast is like we want to try to like break down what do CTOs, engineering leaders do at these organizations so you can really understand like this is the opportunity, this is what the work looks like. And what I'm hoping you'll see is that there's a breadth of technical work to actually like engaging with people, to actually like product development, to actually making it, figuring out a comms plan, to figure out a marketing aspect. Like there's a whole breadth of things that technical people can do. And so I, I would say, just start with talking with people. Now, if you want to go into the nonprofit or the politics space, there's also volunteering opportunities. So go volunteer for organizations in those spaces and just try it out. In fact, there are whole organizations set up just to connect volunteers for these organizations. So like if you want to work on data science, there's places like DataKind, which will like take volunteer data scientists and parachute them into problems in the nonprofit space so you can sort of get a sense of what it's like. If you want to work on tech and politics, there's tech for campaigns who will literally take tech volunteers and 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 assign them to like actual hard technical either marketing problems or website problems or or social media problems inside campaigns going across the US like every single day. So finding those opportunities so you can just sort of like dip your toe in the water, get a better sense of what you're into. Or, you know, if you're the type that just wants to rip a bandit off, you can just give it a shot. And I can tell you it's going to be, it'll be like a tech company, but different in a bunch of different ways. I guess the good news, you can always try it for a year and a half and then go back, get a job at Asana or Matter or Google exactly. or one of the others. <laughs> so I, I guess my next question would be, I, I've talked to a number of people about this. And one of the things that sometimes comes up is they're a little worried about trying to explain the career arc, right? It's like when you, I mean... I, I'm not the one to talk. I was just briefly a psychotherapist, ran a sales training company, built an ad agency, programmer, CTO, and now I guess I'm a party planner as I <laughs> run CTO <laughs> Connections. So I, I my, my, my career path is, is already defined as, as alternative. But for people who are a little more concerned about that, what would you say about what happens if they take a stint in politics or take a stint in not-for-profit or and then how they would find their path back should they want to work for big tech or an enterprise or a startup again? Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think that it's definitely a different path. So a lot of people will see it as a non-trodden path. Um, but I would say non-trodden paths are great paths. Like I think that a any good organization will recognize that the breadth and diversity of experiences probably makes this entire organization stronger. You know, I've spoken to people who worked on, say, the 2020 campaign, presidential campaign, who were hired into tech companies. Um, and those tech companies would say, like, you know, they'll, they, they weren't, they didn't have the most, like, technical pedigree of a resume, but we get, took a shot at them. And it absolutely worked out because some of these people who come from a political world are some of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. Like working in a campaign is really hard. Like you don't sleep for 300 something days. You know, Tom Perez used to say, we'll sleep when it's the weekend, where weekend is defined as election day. <laughs> so like, like you're racing toward these constitutionally mandated ship dates and you're just going to keep on going until you get there. Um, but like those who come from nonprofits to go into tech companies, they've just had a different set of experiences of talking to constituents, talking to people, figuring out how to develop products in places where money is short or or resources are short. So they had to come up with really creative solutions. I mean, I think working 
on the social good sectors is not a cushy job by any shape or means, but the fact that you've made an impact, that you've deployed software technical skills into the world and made people's lives better, that is a valued skill. Like, look at, I mean, like, I'll tell you, putting my Twitter Uber hat back on, that if I got an engineer, product manager, designer onto my desk, their resume, and they've come from one of these social good spaces, knowing what I know now, I would want to know so much more because one, they had the courage to go into these spaces where I think the easy path would have been to stay in the tech space. Two, they had to operate in an environment that's resource constrained. Like So that alone is a challenge to pull it off. And three, they got to have some really great stories. I mean, like just like working in that space, I want to hear those stories. So, I mean, putting my former executive hat on, I think there are some valuable skills to be learned in sort of like getting this type of experience. And I'd really never thought it that way. It reminds me of the early days when I was involved with General Assembly and Flatiron School boot camps. Back in those days, I'd kind of say, as a general rule of thumb, just hire these people. Anyone who who back in the day when it wasn't a common thing, quit their job, somehow found 15,000 bucks, worked for 15 weeks just because they believed they could become anything they could, they probably can be. <laughs> like just that yeah. level of motivation and commitment and determination. Perseverance. Is probably going to give you a, a high quality employee. I think so. Now, let, let me take the other side of that, especially for people who are a little later in their careers and, and family or other you know, life obligations are also a concern. Is there a way to do this without giving up the at least the, the shot of sustainable pace, at least the shot of having a somewhat balanced life? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I've been very fortunate in that I worked for two internet behemoths, so I was able to take this jump pretty easily. Um, but like, there's also notions of like when you political campaigns are time bounded. So like there is actually a known end date. So like you could go take an opportunity where you just know what the end date would look like. You could do that also in any other impact driven organization. So just like mentally set yourself like I'm going to do this for two years, I will learn a lot. And I'll try to make the biggest dent and impact I possibly can and try to do that in some way. But also that being said, for especially for the more and more senior folks, Lots of nonprofits, lots of impact organizations would love to have advisors or mentors around them. I think the only thing I would warn there is that is that multilingual problem I said before, especially if you're coming in from the outside. You have to learn how these organizations work, and it's very different than a tech company would work. I mean, I will often say that the DNC it's probably the hardest job I've ever had because it was just so different than everything else I expected. So there's lots of opportunities to be mentors, to be advisors, but you just need to come at it at the perspective of like, these are really the experts. Your job is to advise them, not tell them what to do because you've not thrown yourself in the ring with them. Um, but I think those opportunities do exist. So just maybe one last question of you before we we dig into the podcast just a little more, which is, let's say there's a listener who's thinking about this sounds cool. What would be your, your advice on like like first steps to, to starting to look at the possibilities of mission-driven opportunities? Yeah. Well, one, you can always reach out to me and I'll <laughs> gladly point you in the right direction. But I think there are lots of actually job boards that are starting to pop up and maybe we'll put them in some kind of um, in the description on this podcast. But there are job boards that are popping up that are specifically for people looking for like some of these social good related organizations. You know, 
just walking around your neighborhood, there are nonprofits left and right. So if you're looking for a, a, a small way to dip your toe in the water, just looking for those nonprofits that are operating just in your geographic proximity would be a great place to do it. There are databases of what are called 990 forms, which are all the organs, all nonprofits have to file 990s, which are their financial disclosures. But there are a trove of information. Are you looking for a particular nonprofit in a particular area? Search the 990 database and you can find all the nonprofits that are working in that area. Maybe one of them resonates with you and just reach out to them and figure out how you can help. But I think just starting with a little bit of internet research will get you a very long way to finding a target list of, of companies, organizations that you can at least reach out to, ask them for coffee and figure out. And then to focus specifically on this mission-driven series, which I can't wait to, to catch all the future episodes. As with this one, they'll all be available both as videos if you want to watch it or as audio podcasts if you like to listen while you're driving or mowing the lawn or anything else. So who should engage with this? What, what is your, your, the profile of the, the audience that you want to speak to here? Yeah. So let's back up for a second. The reason why we're doing this is when, I, when I've been recruiting in this space, I go talk to engineers at, I guess they call them manga companies these days, but manga companies all the time. And they will say things like, Rafi, but I just don't understand what someone like me can do here. And so like the goal of this podcast is like, I want to bring on some of my friends in the space who work at some of these organizations, campaigns, nonprofits, businesses, and just let's listen to what they do all day long. Like, what are the things that keep them up at night? How do they operate? What's the technical skills that they actually have been refining or using? What's their craft in this job? And I'm hoping that other engineers, leaders, technologists, product designers, designers will listen to it and see themselves as, oh, I could do that too. Or that is an actual really tangible problem. I've never thought about it that way. And it sort of like breaks down the barrier a bit. I'm hoping these stories just makes it easier for someone to even consider that they might go and work on a social good related problem um, instead of necessarily going to industry. And remember, it's not an either or. Like you could find the unicorn and do both, but just open your eyes of what's possible beyond I need to make this database faster. I need to get the click-through rate conversion on this advertisement better. I need to make this car drive better. Just there's a whole wealth of problems that this world needs tackling beyond those that are purely technical and just seeing what they are might inspire, again, engineers, designers, product managers, et cetera, to go tackle them. Rafi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And I can't wait to watch the rest of the series. Thank you, Peter. It's been great. 